I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. What's going on, everybody? Happy Monday. Pre-warning, we've recorded this episode before the Orlando Magic game because I live very far away and the times do not allow me to record after the Orlando Magic game. As usual, I'm joined by my boy, Mr. Greg Manakis, always here for your Monday listening pleasure. But we've brought on, on a guest. We, Greg, what's going on? How you doing, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing really good, man. I'm excited about this Magic game. I'm excited about our guest. Um, hopefully, you know, we can just assume that the Celtics beat the Magic tonight because the Magic just got smoked last night. And uh, we're on a five-game winning streak. And Adam will have to go back and edit this if there's a horrible loss tonight. <laughs> Well, I'm just flexing muscles in the camera, so what, I ain't got none at the moment. I'm flexing arms is what I'm doing. I'm showing arm. We are joined by a special guest, the longest tenured Celtics podcaster on the face of the planet since 2005, since before League Pass, before iPhones, before Color TVs, maybe, possibly, before Netflix. Mr. John Duke, how you doing, brother? I'm coming to you from my crypt, I think. Oh, my God. You me, I just felt so old there for a second. No, I'm great, man. It's good to be back on and good to chat with you guys. Uh, really excited. This is an exciting time for the Celtics, and I, I feel like we're in a in a moment where we should just enjoy where we are and just, like, really drink it in because it's the, the good times have been fleeting the last couple of years. So I'm just I'm living it. I'm loving it. I'm looking forward to this big win over Orlando and hoping for a a very successful week to come. It's very home. If we're, if, we're doing, <laughs> if we're doing ages and feeling old, let's go through. How old were you in 2005, Greg? I was a sophomore in high school, so I was probably 15 or 16 years old. I'm 32 right now, turning 33, uh, February 23rd. So I'm going into my bird year this year. So I was I was a year out of high school. We leave high school at sixteen here, so I was bordering on seventeen. John, a big reveal, John. Well, uh, a little bit older than that. Um, yeah. So let's see. Two thousand five. I was uh, rounding into form as a twenty-five year old trying to figure out how to live life. So uh, I didn't have any kids then. That was when podcasting was again it was, as we were talking about before we got on. This podcast before there was a name for podcasting, so it was uh, it was a show that we just did, and uh, it was it was fun. But I didn't have kids. I had all kinds. I had the world was my oyster, and now I'm a 43 year old man trying to figure out, you know, how you're going to turn a TPE into a player. It's a it's a wild life we live. So can can I jump in here real quick, Adam? I, I would love to just know uh, from John, from your perspective, how discourse around the game of basketball has changed and specifically around the Celtics team since 2005 like how how would you what would you say is the biggest change and what do you think is something that like people might actually be interested in um, talking about how things have changed that's an interesting question Greg like you know I I ended up turning into the podcasting game from message boards Um, in fact you know Jeff Clark from from uh, Celtics blog and I were on uh, the the real GM boards back in those eras, that early two thousands era, and it was it was caustic at times. It was you know there were times when you were really um, you were you were gonna going at people's necks. It, that's not new. 
Uh, I think the frequency with which people are coming at people's necks is is probably the part of it. And then, of course, you know, to talk about the team, the team in that area, there were low expectations. We hadn't won a championship since 86. You know, we're going on 20 years at that point. Um, the expectations were low. It was really all about developing young players. Al Jefferson, Delonte West, Tony Allen. Um, Brian Gomes, as we were talking about, right? I mean, that was what we were talking about was about development and trying to get back into the picture. And so it was it was easy in some respects, and we didn't have the instantaneous um, uh, endorphin rush that sometimes uh, Twitter can provide you. And so we were we it wasn't so quick, but you were definitely. You're refreshing those boards for for what was going on, what the what the dialogue was at the time, and you know Twitter just took that and really threw it into hyperspeed. Um, but yeah, you know, we also didn't podcast in the, to the degree we have now, and so there's so many voices and so many better voices than what we were providing. We were really trying to be an, an antidote in some ways to having rational talk outside of sports talk radio, which was just an an abyss. Of, of Celtics talk at that time in the Boston market. And so we were just trying to be something opposite from that. And now there's so many voices there doing great work. It's um, you kind of wonder some, why you're doing it because so many people are doing great <laughs> stuff. Uh, you guys, and you know, so many others. Um, so it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing um, now, but you do have to kind of have your own filter about the bad stuff because it's out there. And it's it just makes it such a bummer. And we're still 15 years later trying to take down talk radio. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Unfortunately, they still exist. And there's people out there that still want to listen and, and get their rush from the, the negativity they put out. But, I hey, I, I think as long as we're putting out content that people enjoy, it allows us to kind of move the conversation forward in our minds as we're riding the train, as we're riding to work, as we're you know, getting on the treadmill or whatever it may be. I think we're doing, I think we're doing good stuff and we're at least we're keeping the rest of us sane. Uh, and I think that, you know, unfortunately we always hear from the negative. We always hear from those who are outside, but you guys see the numbers of, of your listeners and, and, and folks are watching and, and others. If we took those, they, it, it far outstrips the, the, the one or two negative comments. And, uh, so we just have to make sure we keep listening to the right podcasts with saying the right things, and it'll keep us at least us sane, if nothing else. Maybe get a little bit group think along the way too. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what it is? The li- the, the the most negative voices are always the loudest. Uh, somebody somebody told me a long time ago. Most people don't comment on content that they enjoy. They'll only comment if they find some um, egregious or if they really take issue with something you said. Or if they're just in a bad mood and you seem you were the last name that came into their head. So the negative comments come and go. I mean, I do. I'd pay a lot of money to be able to tune into Boston Radio for sports talk just because I've never experienced it and I'm told consistently how bad it is. <laughs> yeah, hey, you, don't, you don't need to do that, man. <laughs> do just just pay a therapist instead. It's a far better way to go than than to listen to the drivel from those guys. It's 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 not worth it. Don't do it to yourself. I, I I implore you. Um, I mean, I live a little bit outside the Boston market. I'm up in in the state of Maine, so I'm I'm about four four hours north of uh, north of North Station and uh, TD Garden. Um, I will say when I go to a game, I do tune in just to kind of get the flavor of it, so I kind of understand what you're saying. 
um but it's it's a it's a it's a real uh, roller coaster ride, kind of like the team, I guess. Uh, do you really want to put up with it or not? That's I'm on a VPN. I'm just gonna put a VPN on my phone and just tune into some 98.5 just for a week, just so I can fully experience it. And then we can do an episode where we come back and I'll have notes on what my thoughts were from that week in 98.54. That makes You're a braver sense. man. You're a braver man than I, man. That's all I can say. You're braver than I am. <laughs> yeah, I might just be. I might just be stupid. We'll find out. We'll find out. But as we as we transition into actual basketball talk, maybe we could just do like a whole bit where we, we're just pretending we're Boston Sports Radio. <laughs> How do we do the action? Adam, Adam can't participate in that. Okay, yeah, yeah, I won't participate. Go on then. So, let, so we'll start off with this, John. You've you've been very vocal about your opinions in giving the kids more time this year. Um, to a large degree, I agree. I, I definitely lean towards that more, less so on the back of this win streak, yeah. just because hey, they're winning. So why would you want to rock the boat? But as an overall on the year. Uh, Myself, Greg, and the other guy, the other co-host, Will, um, we've all been quite vocal in, the, hey, if you're not winning, you might as well develop some of these pieces, right? So where do you stand on that? And what, what's your take, like, through the season and then now? Because obviously there's going to be a bit of a change in mentality. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm still, I, I agree with you. It's it's hard not to watch the winning streak and be like, yeah, let's roll Peyton Pritchett out there for 25 minutes. I, I get it, you know, I, I, I do understand it. Look, I think that the, the biggest thing that entering this season is trying to make sure that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown are the best that they can possibly be. Right. I mean, that's, that's the most important thing. So it might play the kids, you know, mantra, which I've had since 2005, pretty much um, since it was Jim O'Brien, 2003, actually, if you want to go back that far, Marcus Banks and those guys um, that, you know, you're in a situation right now for this team that probably you're not going to compete for a championship. So you need to build a team that can, that can do just that. Now you may have the players on this roster that can get you to that point in, in Tatum and Brown. They can be, I think at the top end, the best players on a team that can compete for a championship in their prime. They clearly don't have the, the, the cast around them as you look at it right now. I think smart has played amazingly well in the, this last you know, streak and since he's come back. But apart from that, we still look at a bench that's not there. But playing Dennis Schroeder, playing even Al, playing Ennis Cantor, those guys are staying in the way in the ability for, I think, meaningful, consistent playing time for guys like Neesmith, Romeo, Pritchard. Grant has kind of separated himself. Thank goodness. Great. Now we've got one. But the only way this team really goes to the next level is if they turn those former number one picks into assets that they can trade or assets that contribute towards winning. And I don't believe that you can go from playing garbage time all together with Ennis Cantor and Bruno Fernando and go from that into the next night and feeling like you're going to be able to com- compete in a role supporting Tatum and Brown. And I think that's the fundamental issue here is that the path they're on is not leading them towards consistency or success. And, you know, I think you look at the history here going back, they've, the, the Celtics have done better than the Gary Washburn wants to admit, or some of the detractors in the press want to admit they've done better, 
but they've done better once those guys have gotten consistent minutes. Rob Williams was one of those guys. Terry Rozier was one of those guys. Grant Williams took his opportunity and earned it this year. I, I, he, he took little bits and turned it into something more. When is Peyton Pritchard, Romeo Langford, Aaron Neesmith going to get that same opportunity? And if you're not winning and you're not giving that opportunity, what are we all doing? And I think that's kind of the fundamental concern I've had in that tug of war. Um, and that's where this team has to go. It's about championships. It's not about being slightly above 500. Yeah, and, and even like pushing back on what other people have said about the Celtics' track record in terms of drafting. I mean, when you look at the team right now, five of their eight-man rotation are all draft picks on the team. You know, we got the Jays, Robert Williams, Grant Williams, and I'm missing one. I'm missing one. Fill me in, Marcus Smart. Yeah, so like I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even say that the Celtics have done a bad job with that. Um, and Grant Williams, to your point, John, is that he he went out and he earned his minutes. Right, he was so good at the beginning of the year that Emo Doka had no choice but to keep him on the floor. And you can't really say that about any of the other guys, right? Romeo's never really had that stretch. Neesmith definitely hasn't had that stretch this year. And Pritchard is probably the one where you could say, okay, there have been a couple of games where it's like, oh, Pritchard looked really good. And then he gets a DNP, you know, like, and I don't know if that's Ime trying to just get Schroeder's trade value up or if he just loves Schroeder. I think it's more he just loves Schroeder and actually believes in his value as a player on the court and like his his ceiling as a, as a player and what he can do for the Celtics ceiling. Um, so with that, I just think with this winning streak, you know, five game winning streak after this huge win against Orlando magic tonight, <laughs> I just think that the Boston Celtics, like you, you, you can hate Ime for, for the rotations that he has, but in terms of like narrowing it down to this eight man rotation, if we're getting the results on the court, and like emails like, listen, I never had the opportunity to play the rotation that I wanted to from the beginning of the year. At least give me these weeks up until the trade deadline and then make your decision up until the trade deadline. I totally understand the thought process. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's more along the lines of what, when they weren't winning, when everything looked like it was all lost and the entire season was just going to be an abyss of bad memories. You know what I mean? Like, that it made a bunch of sense to me. Like, if you're going to lose, I'd rather lose while developing some guys because at the end of the day, the, one, the number one narrative surrounding this team is where are their trade assets? Outside of Smart, outside of Tatum and Brown and Rob Williams, obviously, where are the trade assets coming from? If those are the guys you want to build around, you need to have people you can move off from to bring in new pieces. Well, if you're losing and you have no assets, then you're in a real bad spot. If, you, if you've got young guys you can develop into assets, then now all of a sudden there's a pathway back forward. You, it's not the path you wanted. It's not the path you thought you were going to be on. But at least there's an avenue for you guys to develop. There is some news as well. Just a quick throw out there. We'll discuss it in a moment. According to Woj, Cleveland is acquiring Karis LeVert in a trade. So the Pacers have decided to make a move there, uh, moving LeVert over to Cleveland. But for me, it's like now, like you say, Greg, the Celtics are healthy. Udoka's got a rotation that he genuinely wanted to begin the season. It's an eight-man rotation, and they're doing exceptionally well. You know, we saw Romeo kind of crack into that nine-man rotation against Detroit. I think if you remove the last four minutes, especially just take that air ball free throw out, so out of your mind. And um, he done quite well. Air ball's generous, man. <laughs> that thing, like, barely made it to the charge circle. I think they need to go to the, um, go to Detroit, and you know how like you had Deflate Gate. 
I think they've got <laughs> over inflate gate. The ball was heavier than what it should have been, and that's why the trajectory went. I'm, I'm obviously I'm joking. Um, but if you remove that one moment from from Romeo's game, I thought he had a decent performance. Now, if he could do that consistently, he becomes a viable trade piece. He, obviously, it's not going to be someone you can center a deal around, but it's somebody that sweetens a deal from no, we're not interested to hmm, let us think about that for a day or two and get back to you. So that has always been my mentality. And if they can do that by just opening up one extra rotation spot, and running a nine-man rotation, you know in the playoffs they're going to shorten that anyway. You can worry. That's fine. The regular season, if you can build some trade value heading into the offseason, you should do it. If you move on from Schroeder, well, now you can give Romeo and Pritchard that valuable time. And that's been my mentality throughout this season is just finding a way to improve these young guys and then, if, if necessary, use them in a deal to cre- increase the talent level within the roster. That just makes perfect sense. Yeah, and John, I want to get your thoughts on this here in a second. So with the with the guys that we just mentioned, right, Romeo Langford, Aaron Eastman, Peyton Pritchard, I feel like the reason why Romeo is getting that ninth man minutes right now is he kind of offers something that the other two guys can't offer, specifically with his versatility on the defensive end. I think there are certain matchups in which Grant Williams is just like a little too slow to guard some people. Josh Richardson's just a little too skinny to guard that guy. And Romeo's kind of like the perfect mix of those two players on the defensive end of the court. Um, So if one of these three guys gets moved in terms of like, okay, we're keeping the rest of the team exactly the same, that eight-man rotation, who's the one guy that you think we should keep as the ninth man in the rotation? Cool. So my choices are... Romeo, Neesmith, Neesmith, Richard. Oh my gosh! Well, I, I'm I'm very much of the mind that shooting is is a better situation for this team than what we anticipated. And though probably his draft stock or his stock at the, is at the lowest point of his career at this point, I think Aaron Neesmith is the guy who should be plugged into that should be should be plugged into a spot now you're right as you as you kind of shorten the the amount of um available minutes and and you have a a, a shorter rotation the opportunities are going to become fewer and fewer um and i and i can see why Ime has gone with with Romeo because i think you're right he does fit that kind of that kind of gap in between those two guys, and if defensive versatility is really the name of the game, it makes sense that you're going to kind of continue to lean into that world. I guess the answer is, are they going to continue to score the way they have over the last week and a half? Because I'm not sure that they can score at this rate. They're moving the ball well. They're getting on the up quick. They're they're really playing a, a, a free style of offense that I think should be sustainable. But I get the sense when they start playing the tougher teams, it's going to grind a bit more to a halt. And I just think they need more shooting. Um, they need connector pieces, which Romeo should be. But Romeo's offense is just so rudimentary at this point. He needs to show me something, a little bit more spark on that end of the court. Where And I think Neesmith can do more than he's showing. Um, so that's really my the guy I want to lean into. I really think that's somebody who we really haven't scratched the surface of. I still think Romeo needs more time in the gym to get back to that offensive self that he he was. 
Um, I'm not sure where we've helped, how we've gone so far away from such a, I think, important, potentially offensive creator and scorer that the, the guy we drafted, Romeo Langford, but he needs to really recapture that in the summer because his offense has really been such a, such a negative on the team when it's beyond the floor in a general sense. I need more, and I think with with Neesmith's shooting, you can get what they need out of that situation. So I'm quite vocal on this in terms of I think that Romeo has the highest ceiling out of all the three guys there, but I also think he has the most floor. So I've been a big champion of Romeo. I think that his ball handling, his um, self-creation, and then obviously his explosiveness, when we have seen it, he looks incredibly explosive. That should lend itself to an incredibly impactful bench two-way wing because we've seen the defense he's a three-level scorer well he's developing an outside shot to become a three-level scorer that ceiling is drastically high for him i could see him being you know at his peak if he ever reached that he could be an elite contributor as like a six or seventh man on a decently good contending team whereas i don't think neesmith's ceiling is as high but i also think his floor is much higher if that shot does figure itself out and he becomes a 38, 39% three point shooter on, you know, four to six attempts per game, then that his floor is so drastically elevated over where Romeo's floor is that it makes sense as a team that's got hopes of being in a contender status within the next like 12 to 18 months. It makes sense to, to stick with Neesmith over Romeo. I do completely agree. I think if you were playing a bit of a longer game, and, you know, you weren't on the timetable of Jason and Jalen already being at a level to compete, then it makes sense to run with Romeo and really put that time, effort, and money into developing him. Uh, but at the same time, I think that, I've, for me, I'm very big on remembering this is guys' careers. So holding on to them for holding on to them's sake is doing nothing for their career. And if you don't move them early enough to find somewhere else to flourish, then it's them that never kind of achieved what they put all that work in to get towards. So, so that's another reason why I'm like, hey, if you're not going to play these guys, you need to move these guys, send them to an environment where they've got an opportunity to progress. Yeah, and as we head towards the trade deadline, um, John, I don't know how big you are into fake trades and things like that, but as we look around the the landscape around the league, right, two of the names that really interest me, and I'd love to just get your opinion on other names that you you're looking at, um, Harrison Barnes is a name that we talk about all the time. And then a guy that kind of fits the defensive mold of what Romeo Langford is, but also has shooting is Eric Gordon. Um, Eric Gordon is a guy that like, I haven't heard too much as in terms of potential guy that the Celtics could go get. But like, when you think of what Harrison Barnes would really offer to the team, to me, he's like replacing what Grant Williams does, right? So you're going from Grant Williams to Harrison Barnes. Like, I feel like he would kind of take a lot of what Grant can do. And then when you look at an Eric Gordon, it's like, okay, who whose role is he really taking in, in that scenario? Well, he's probably taking minutes from Josh Richardson, and he's definitely taking the Romeo Langford minutes, right? So, like, in, in my opinion, I think the upgrade from Langford, Richardson to Gordon is probably a higher step up than what Grant Williams has currently given within his role mm. to Harrison Barnes. Um, and I'm just uh, – initial thoughts on that and also just, like, lands, trade landscape as a whole. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I see those two guys. I, I've been really kind of keyed on on Barnes myself. Um, I'm still, I'm still coming down from last year's trade deadline when it was Harrison Barnes was. It, I wouldn't say it was a sure thing, but 
Um, you know, I, I, maybe the, the Harrison Barnes Celtic for life tattoo was a bad decision last <laughs> January. Um, so, uh, no, no, but in all seriousness, I mean, I think he, I think he just fits very well as a player between Jalen and Jason, his pedigree, what he's accomplished, the team USA stuff. He knows he may, he may knows him. Uh, you can play him with a three if you're going to play double big and you're without one of Jalen or Jason. Um, I think you can play him at the four or three, four with he and Tatum um, and not give up too much um, in terms of your, your, your ability to stay flexible. Um, you know, he's, he's a bit of a, a secondary creator. Is he, is he really like a Gordon Hayward level creator? No, I don't think so, but he's probably a half step down from that. Certainly he's offensively much more potent than what we would see from, from Grant. Uh, you know, I don't think that he, I think he's really the ideal. I think that the question is, can you actually deal with the Kings? Can the Kings actually make a deal that makes any sort of sense whatsoever? I also think that there's a room where you could expand that deal and take a, take a swing on a, on a Bagley, honestly. I don't know how he gets minutes, but, but he's somebody who, being a Duke guy, uh, obviously, uh, you know, who kind of intrigues me. And I feel like he can maybe, there's a role there in a Christian Wood sense uh, eventually. But, 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 you know, looking, looking kind of broader than that, I, I, I guess I'm really kind of focused on, uh, on, on first Barnes, and then I think secondarily, I was actually looking at Karis Levert. So that was kind of a bummer because um, <laughs> I think he has those kind of creator genes. That deal I, was good as well for uh, for Cleveland. I thought so. Yeah, two second rounders. Uh, uh, you know, or, or you know, going back and then a number one and sending out Rubio. I, I think that's. I think I think it makes a lot of sense for Cleveland. Um, a lot of sense. Um, we're. I just I'm leading more on the fact that I think the team needs needs connectors, connectors as opposed to shooters. And I think I see a lot of people like Buddy Heal, Buddy Heal, but I don't. And I and I think Gordon can fill that role, but his age I think is problematic to me. I want somebody who's still young enough who can grow with the Tatum and Brown for a couple of years if need be, but has enough um, enough weight in the offense to where there's respect and there's some sort of need to continue to keep the ball moving. And I think the more we can surround those two guys with those types of players and some with a little bit more potency scoring the ball, I think that's really, I think it allows us to stay home defensively, but also to maybe have a little bit higher upside on the offensive side, which I think is just so needed on this team moving forward. I mean, a connector that I've had my eyes on and he was a big name towards the last trade deadline and then a little bit during the offseason before we went over to Portland was Larry Nance. I thought that he was another guy that could come in and play a connecting role. Uh, you know, even somebody, and this wouldn't happen uh, just because of the way Cleveland are at the moment, but even someone like Chidi Osman would be somebody that could come in and play that connecting role where the ball doesn't need to be in their hands, but the gravity's there. They can read this, you know, they're happy to swing the ball over to a, a more prominent member of the offense when required. So I'd agree. I think, um, you know, if you're not going for that ball handling um, self-creator and um, shot creator for others, then a connecting piece makes a ton of sense from where I'm sitting to. <clears throat> the other thing I think they'd need as well is I've been quite big on, and I say quite big, I've gave it a bit of thought over the last few days on 
figuring out a way to add an impactful young big man just because Al Horford is going to be another year older next season. He's, you know, his body's already showing signs that a full season is going to be difficult. The Celtics might not even keep him around and his freedom needs to go. So where can, what move can you make to bring in a young impactful big, or if it's not a young big, then a connecting big, like a Kelly Olenek, you know what I mean? A big that could come in and just do what he needs to do. Uh, so those are the three type of roles that I'd be looking for, like a, a playmaking point, a playmaking guard, a connector, or an impactful big that upgrades you over freedom and gives you a fail safe when Horford either leaves the team or has to miss time due to like age wear and tear. Yeah, John, what would your thoughts be on a potential re- reunion with Kelly? Lynn? I would be, I would be down with that. I like Kelly. The bounce is still real, so uh, I think you know getting Kelly back would be would be a great step. You know, I think that there is there was some hope in in the early going that Horford would fill that role as a shooting big, and you know, contract issues aside, I think that you know that was I think still probably going into December was probably still on the, on the table, but clearly that, you know, recent, maybe some recent success aside, the shooting hardly hasn't come around for him. And so to be able to put Kelly in that spot, I think it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you really do, you roll, you, you know, do you have a roll big or do you have a shooting big? You really have to live in one of those two worlds in today's league, I feel like. And, you know, Kelly would certainly open the floor for them. And we all, I mean, if, you know, the last kind of memory many Celtics fans have is that 27-point game against the Wizards. So there's a lot of fond memories there. Um, certainly, you know, you know Brad Stevens knows Kelly well. Uh, I think that he he is a connector, too. I mean, he really is a good passer. Uh, he, he knows where to be defensively. The only problem, you know, and it's the same thing with kind of the Bogdanovich, um, you know, conversation or – Joe Ingles, I don't see the Celtics acquiring somebody who's a net negative defensively. And I don't know if Kelly, we know positionally he was always in the right places, but I don't know if if he's enough of a plus defensively that, that the Celtics can say, yeah, we're going to go out and, and spend some, some real, um, mm-hmm. you know, trade capital to acquire him. Uh, it may not take much, you know, given where he is and the situation he's in, but I just don't see the Celtics this this iteration of the Boston Celtics really willing to go with somebody who they can't switch easily or or you know really consider um, at least average, uh, I guess, defensively. I mean, yeah. to be fair, it fits Something into right a TPE. Now. It fits into a TPE. So, you, what, you, what's you, his contract you, right now? 12.1 per season, 12.8 next year. Third year is a team option. Is it a team? Oh, it's partially guaranteed at 3 million. So he's got next this year and next year fully guaranteed. And then the 23-24 season is partially guaranteed at 3 mil. Mm, so there's, yeah. there's an avenue, but I completely get where you're saying, you know, like Horford can, the one thing that I've been really impressed about with Udoka is the fact that he's allowed his big men to guard on the perimeter. Like, and that, that's called, like Robert Williams sliding down onto threes and twos is just causing absolute mayhem. Three point shots are just so much harder to get off when Robert Williams is chasing you down on the perimeter. And then Al Horford's of switchability able to roll back playing drop and then shoot out, scram guys out or shoot back out onto the perimeter himself and defend. Um, it's just a really great way to play defense. And I think 
Alenik's got the lateral quickness, but and but I just don't think he has the. He's got the lateral quickness to close out on you, but to keep up with you if you beat him off the dribble, I think he's going to get in foul trouble quite quickly in that system. What are you going to say, Greg? Sorry, um, I forget. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Sorry, I think dude. I think with Alenik, uh, yeah, I mean there was a couple possessions against Tatum, you know, the other night where he held his ground, he he knocked the ball out of Tatum's hands twice. Um, and that's something that Kelly's always been able to do is guard like kind of the the more elongated wings. And Tatum, I would kind of say it falls into that category. He kind of just struggles against more guys that are just straight line drive. Like you met, we probably all remember the Kelly Olynyk trying to guard LeBron James, and it just didn't go well at all. Uh, so with Kelly, like I think I could see him maybe being someone we look at in the summertime um, versus this year because then it's just an expiring deal basically with that non-guaranteed deal and this in, in that um, couple years from now, but I wouldn't mind him on the team as, especially as the third big, I wouldn't want him in place of Horford because then I think we don't have anybody that can bang. And if we get rid of Horford, then what is it? Freedom? Like I'm not playing Enos freedom ever in a meaningful game. So like, I don't know, man, like I, I think, I think Kelly would definitely be interesting. One thing um, just talking about the Celtics defense. I was talking to Keith Smith earlier today and he had mentioned, um, I don't know if Ime brought it up in a post game or if it was something Keith just noticed, but Robert Williams has been guarding uh, the worst shooter on on the other team recently. Like in the, in the most recent game against Detroit, he was on Diallo from time to time, and that allows him to roam a little bit more. Um, and I think if you get someone like Olenek to play next to him, that kind of negates that value because Al Horford is able to guard the bigger um, big men in the league, and I don't think Kelly Olenek can do that. So another name we've been looking at, well, you've been looking at specifically, Greg, that aren't pretty much, well, less than a Linux until, well, it's only, it's only this season, actually. It's unrestricted after this. Um, so a guy that we're looking at, that you've been looking at specifically, is Nurkic. And that's another big man that's a connector. He, you know, he's a phenomenal short roll passer, in my opinion. I think some of his best offense comes from his short roll creation. Um, super big, great screen setter. The only downside is obviously you have those injury concerns. But, you know, he's on, he's on 12 million this year. I'd project that maybe he's looking for around 15 a season, 16 a season in the free agent market. You could probably snag him a little bit lower than that. How would you feel about Nurkic as the long-term Al Horford replacement? John? That's, I think that's a, that's a really interesting uh, name because he does, he does somewhat um, – he's not the passer I think that Sabonis is. Not to try to bring those kind of trailblazer, you know, Arvidas and uh, bring that those connections in. But I mean, he certainly has that connector piece. I do see that as well. He's what I like about Nurkic too is he's tough, and I, that's the one thing about this team that last year really bothered me is that they were. I don't want to go back to the whole talking about Kyrie stepping on the logo thing, but. That still bothers me. I got to be honest. I'm a Gen Xer, so things you know, I don't let things go, and and so uh, I'm I'm still upset about that. And that's the type of thing where a guy like Nurkic on your team, he's not going to let stuff slide like that. And I think this Celtics team does need a bit of grit and a little bit of toughness to them that that they've that they lacked. Um, part of it's because they had a lot of young players. But part of it is, I think they need somebody in there who's, who has a bit of a mean streak. And Nurkic kind of kind of checks that box. Um, I think you're right. I think he would be a really good fit. He's good when he's healthy. He's he's a good player. 
but you got to keep that average annual value. Like you said, 15 is probably the, is probably around the number that I would be, be comfortable with. If he was much above that, um, 12, you know, 12 to 15, I'm, I'm happy, but I don't think you can give him a big contract. If you know that going into it, I'd feel fine about going out there to try to get him. But you're right. You can't have too many bigs on the roster. You can't have too many bigs on the roster that are going to be of, of some value. And I think, you know, using the TPEs at this point, unless you have, you know, a lot, a lot of salary going out, they're not going to pay the tax. Like, I just don't see any way this team pays the tax this year. But if they can send out Horford in another deal or, or enough salary out in another deal that then allows them to acquire someone like a Nurkic and then with the assumption they're going to pay him in the summer, that, that'd be some really smart GMing. So let's hope that that's the type of thing they're able to pull off. It's just unloading the $27 million in Al Horford is, I think that's going to be tough. I think. Yeah, for sure. And with Nurkic, I think just if you look around the league and other um, recent free agent big men, right, like Jonas Valanciunas, I think he got $12 million on the open market this year. So I, I would be hard-pressed to say that Nurkic is a better player than Valanciunas in the eyes of GMs around the league. So I would imagine he'll be right around that 12 million number. If he's above 15, like shout out to his agent because he doesn't deserve it, you know? Uh, but I, I think Nurkic is definitely a guy that I've been coveting for a while. Um, my initial trade was uh, centered around Al Horford going out and bring him back um, Nurkic and CJ. And then Adam talked me out of that. So then it was Nurkic and, and Powell and then Powell just got traded. So now I'm just like, how do we get Nurkic? And I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I wouldn't mind having Nurkic on the squad. And I agree with you, man. I, I do think that the Celtics need someone with a mean streak. I think Grant Williams has kind of taken up that mantle to some degree. You, you see him getting in people's face and kind of being an enforcer out there. Um, but I think, at the core of who Grant Williams is, he's just like a really nice guy. <laughs> so like, I think we need someone who's got a little bit more of a true dog in him. Um, so enough, that leads me to one more big man that I'm just interested in getting your opinion on. And that's Montrez Harrell. Um, where, where do you see him in terms of your rankings as potential big men coming to Celtics? Not, I'm not a Harrell guy. I, 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 I'm a Harrell guy. If I was playing daily fantasy and had him playing against the Celtics, I'm all in on Harold. Like I, that's a pound that like, man, I'm yeah, absolutely. But over the long haul, I mean, look at, look at where he's, <laughs> he's in, he's in LA. They're like, we don't want to keep him. He goes to LA. They don't want to keep him. I mean, he, now he's in, now he's in Washington. Look, they don't want to keep him. They don't want to <laughs> keep him. I mean, it says something to me that there's just, there's this churn here and, and I, he's a hardworking big. He's there's a lot of effort. There's a, the hair is going everywhere. You know, it's 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 a great look. He's Very got, Ken Farid esque. Absolutely fantastic marketing guy. The problem is it, when everyone's trying to get rid of you all the time, that's not a good sign. And I think that he he just doesn't provide enough defensively, right? I mean, that's and he and he seems to get played off the floor pretty easily as well. So. I, I think that Fareed is uh, Fareed. <laughs> See, there we go. <laughs> that's that's the, the, you made that in, and now it's it's stuck. Um, no, I mean, I just think that that Harrell is, is just at a point where he's not going to be able to, uh, I think, hold on to a big man spot 
on a team like this. If he was, if you, if you didn't have this contract, if you were able to kind of say, well, he's, you know, five, six million dollar guy, I'm interested, you know, but I, you know, it's certainly not at, at the numbers he's, he's getting right now. So a player I read that's available or potentially available. I read it yesterday and cannot for the life of me remember the source, but if I find it, I'll put it in the description of the podcast. If I don't find it, then mm-hmm. I promise you I read it. Was um, Jakob Pertl from the, from Spurs being potentially available? And that was a name that, mm-hmm. you know, he doesn't give you any floor spacing. He doesn't really give you much in way of creation, but the rim protection, and he's just, a, in my yeah. opinion, he's one of the most underrated screeners for a big man in the NBA. And I think that, you know, with the way the Celtics run their offense, which is heavily screen-based, they do they run a lot of pin-downs, a lot of staggers, a lot of drags, whatever else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having somebody that's an elite screen setter could be a, a great upgrade on the second unit if and when Al Horford eventually leaves. Just having someone that's got a very specific niche to their, to their game. I don't know if anybody else feels like that would be a decent flyer to take. And, you know, if you can move on from freedom from the end of the season and come bring Pertle in, and then, you know, if you're running double bigs, Pertle's going to be your backup big man. I, I like the idea, but I don't know how it would work out in... Uh, I like the theory, but I don't know how it works out in practice. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's kind of that, like roster construction conversation, right? Like, I had this belief, and I said this earlier on, where this team, if this roster construction was run by Brad Stevens last year, they would have been way more successful. If last year's roster construction was put here before Ime Udoka, he'd probably be more successful because it would have been better set up for double bigs. And I think that's kind of the the thing that I keep kind of kind of coming back to is what is the future of this double big lineup? Is a double big lineup happening because Ime highly values the ability to have two 6'10 plus or 6'9, 6'10 guys who are highly flexible and switchable but but offer different skill sets? Is it because they're the five that he has the five most talented players on the floor and he wants to just make that work is it because you know what what is the is that scheme based is that where he wants his scheme to be or is that just reflective of what he had for players uh because if so you may you know do you have you try to get a, your your next big i suppose because we obviously know rob williams is is far and away a number one does your next big have to be similar to is he is is he you know perhaps a, a compliment to like a Nurkic is obviously very different than what a Rob Williams can provide um do you play them together does that mean that you aren't really acquiring somebody who would be with Tatum and Brown and then presumably smart you know where is the other room in the in the, in the starting lineup so it's it's somewhat of a of a difficult quandary because you know, I've been looking for this long four, the Larry Nances of the world that you, you know we were talking about. I just believe I'd rather be smaller and have a big that second big be my big coming off the bench. Um, and, I, and you mentioned Pearl could play that role, I, absolutely. It's just it's a different skill set than what Rob has. Um, mm-hmm. So, is it either or? Is it both? I, I'm not sure, honestly. I'm I'm kind of. I am, I'm further away from the answer than I was, you know, a few months ago uh, when, when he may started. Yeah, for sure. I got one more name to kind of throw out there. And this was something I really honestly hadn't thought of until today. Um, we were doing our live stream with Keith, uh, with Keith and somebody just commented 
um, what about Kyle Kuzma? And I was like, hmm, Kyle Kuzma, interesting. And then I, I just looked, and I was surprised to see that he, he only makes $13 million a year, and he's signed for the, next, um, for the next two seasons after this season. So, like, I've never been a huge Kuz guy by any means, but when I, when I thought of it and thinking that he's 6'10", 6'11", with theoretical shooting, and he's been rebounding the heck out of the ball this year, my, I wouldn't mind acquiring Kuzma. Um, but my question would be, like, has he played himself into like a weird amount of trade value this year? We'd have to give up something real to acquire him. Um, I just, I, w- I first want to kick this to Adam. Cause I've never, I honestly don't think we've ever, I've had so many conversations with Adam and I don't think we've ever discussed whether or not we would want Kyle Kuzma on the Celtics. I mean, from, from a fan standpoint, so I'll do this in two versions. I'll do it as fan me and then analyst me. So as a fan, no, I do not want Kyle Kuzma. The amount of, rhetoric from lakers fans during the early seasons of tatum and coos like do you remember the power rangers the first power rangers movie did either of you ever watch that and you had ivan ooze no sorry i've always looked at kuzma as ivan coos like just his terrible adam i did used to make out with my pillow a lot thinking it was the pink ranger though I mean, I don't blame you. More of a Kelly Kapowski guy myself, but that's fair. You know, I can uh, I can see where you're going with it. I can see where you're going, but um, yeah. So Ivan Coos just like this completely evil entity, and it was just because Lakers fans made it so toxic between Tatum and Kuzma, right? And obviously, Celtics fans weren't innocent in that exchange either. It wasn't that de- it was never one sided. You know, there was back and forth between both. But that really soured me on Kuzma as a player. As a fan, as an analyst, I think he's one of those connector pieces that you can really lean on. You know, he's a he's a good defender, not great, but good. He's a good offensive piece, not great, but good. Plays his role, can space the floor, can put it on the floor, like can attack closeouts, can dribble a little bit, can shoot from three levels. I think he would actually be an upgrade to that bench unit. Now, would I be willing to trade for him? Sure, depending if the price is right. Like... I don't. I haven't seen enough Kuzma this year, personally. I haven't watched enough Wizards games because, like, why would I? To have an opinion on whether Kuzma would be an upgrade over Josh Richardson, depending on how they're both playing this year, because that's whose minutes I envision Kuzma taking. So, I'd have to see more. I'd have to go back and watch a bunch of film to make a pure decision. But based off numbers, based off how he looked. Um, for the Lakers previously, like during those LeBron, those LeBron seasons, and from what I've read about his game this year, yeah, I think he would be an upgrade on the bench. What about yeah. you, John? Yeah, I, I think, uh, well, uh, I think all the Laker created memes from 2017 show that he's better than Jason Tatum, so <laughs> I want him on my team. Uh, <laughs> um, Lakers. Uh, anyway, I no, I'm not. Uh, I'm not a Kuz guy. Um, I don't think he's the passer right now. He. I just while you while you were talking at him, I was looking at his numbers and defensively, he's actually pretty much an average guy, a de- average defender at this point, which which was surprising to me. But his passing and this, I I did recall from watching when the Celtics did play, he still is not. He's calling his own number um, a lot, and I, on that Wizards team, I can see why. Um, but it's it's not it's not great. But but I think that he could become that guy. the The outlines of what a good player he could be are there, but I think he has to become someone who's who's not more valuable 
connecting players um, to become, you know, kind of for that next iteration in his career. Um, he doesn't really shoot the ball quite well enough to just be an all-out, all-out gunner, you know, kind of a six-man type. Um, and if he's solid defensively, that's good. But he is in kind of a unique place as a player, and so it makes sense why he'd be somebody who is potentially gettable at this point. Um, I'm just not sure what Washington's doing. You know, there's there were some rumors of this. You know, I guess this weekend they're trying to add players here at the deadline to try to keep Bradley Beal. That sounds awful desperate, doesn't it? I mean, if that's the case, you know, and th- and that's the kind of the thing that's going into this whole trade deadline. Suggs, so we you know we know on the one hand they want to look at the at the at where they are with salary cap and trying to avoid the tax. On the other hand, we know they're playing well and and there may be a higher ceiling to come for this team. But how much do you spend knowing that what's going on in Washington is seemingly not good? And you know, Dinwiddie's saying that nobody nobody wanted to hear what he had to say as a leader. Hmm. A lot of lot of hmm emojis coming from me on that one. I, I really feel like that's that's something that if if Bradley Beal isn't going there and this this whole Harden to Philly thing is occurring, where else does Bradley Beal go? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um okay, so I got I got one more thing because I know that <laughs> I know that the Philly and um the Philly and Brooklyn thing might happen, right? Ben Simmons for James Harden might happen. So this might be the last time we could ever pitch um, a Jalen Brown, Ben Simmons deal and actually make it work. So I pitched this to a, a Knicks friend of mine who told me I was ridiculous for ever even thinking that the Sixers would accept this deal. And then I asked Keith about it and he said the Celtics would be the ones to say no. So I just want to bring it out to you guys. And this is the part of the pod where we make everyone who listens mad at us. So the Celtics in this deal would be sending out Jalen Brown and we'd be getting back Ben Simmons and Tyrese Maxey. Your guys' thoughts? I mean, I'm not the right guy to ask that question to because I'm going to make everybody mad with my response. Say, <laughs> say I'll, I'll it, go man. first. If you want me to go first, I can. Yeah, because hopefully you have a similar response to me. <laughs> I, I like Jalen Brown. I, I'm of, of, of on our podcast on Silicon Stuff Live, I'm I'm kind of the Jason Tatum guy. Justin is the Jalen Brown guy. But I've seen too much Ben Simmons to say uh, that's the guy I'd want to get for Jalen Brown. I, I look shoot a three coward. I just can't do it. You know, I <laughs> that meme with with Horford and Baines with their hands, you know, at the foul line and, and you know, no one with like shouting distance of, of, of Ben Simmons. I just, I think that there's a lot going on there. Just, I don't think that he, whatever it is, emotionally, mentally, whatever, uh, I don't know that he's getting the right support he needs, whether it's from his agent, his family, I don't know. I don't want that mess here. Certainly this hasn't worked in Boston up until five games ago, but that really isn't, shouldn't be all that surprising given the injuries and everything going on. So I don't, as much as Tyrese Maxey is interesting to me, as kind of the new Terry Rozier coming in, in that deal. I don't, I don't think that's the deal to make. I think there's, if there's a deal for Jalen Brown, it's, that's probably not the type of package I think that works best, but 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm sitting down now, so I'll let Adam go. So I think for me, like, I agree that Brown is probably the better player. Um, I still think that Ben Simmons is wildly underrated as a player himself. You know, he's an elite perimeter defender, elite playmaker, uh, exceptionable, exceptionable, exceptionable. That too. Yeah, I keep saying that. Yeah, I keep putting a ball instead of anal at the end, but um, he's exceptional at getting like downhill, getting to the rim, causing collapses, and fantastic at kicking the rock out at that time as well. I think that that alone doesn't mean that you trade one for one, Brian for Simmons. But if you're putting Tyrese Maxey in there too, which is Marcus Smart on steroids since he was five, like that type, like that's how that's that's Tyrese Maxey, dude. Like just a big muscular version of Marcus Smart that can shoot at a higher clip. Um, can bowl his way through the defenders, just throwing people off me, you know, like a mini juggernaut. Um, I'd seriously have to consider that deal because Ben Simmons, you, you could play Ben Simmons at the four and have him in a Draymond desk role, you know what I mean? And then you could have Tyrese Maxey as one of your primary ball handlers uh, or wherever you want to put Maxey. I think that I'd really, if there was a pick involved there as well or a pick swap to make it a bit more enticing. Uh, Coming I'd, into the Celtics? A pick swap. Like, I don't care who gets the better pick, just so it sounds fairer. Um, I'd, I'd be, I'd be, I'd have to sit down and really. You know, it's really, like it's really interesting. Oh man, because like my my <laughs> Nick buddy, who's like really knowledgeable basketball guy, was just he was like laughing at me. He was just like, "You think the the Philadelphia Sixers would do that? You really think they would give up on Maxi and Simmons for Jalen Brown?" And I was like, "Okay, like, what does everybody around the league think of JB?" Because there are some times where I watch Jalen Brown and I'm like, man, this dude is legit. He he, you know, he could be a perennial all-star. And there are other games that I watch and I'm like, hmm, he really can't dribble in traffic and his handle is super loose and his shot sometimes he has really questionable um, you know, shots that he takes and his defense comes and goes and he for some reason looks like Sometimes when he's running up and down the court, he looks like he's seventy-five years old. Like, so I don't, I don't really know what to, what to make of it. If I'm just watching the games through like my green tinted glasses, or if I really am trusting my eyes and saying that Jalen, Jalen Brown is as good as I think he is, because my Knicks buddy was just like, no, Jalen, Jalen's not that guy. And Jalen, we saw what Jalen did in New York in the first game of the season, you know. So I don't know. I thought I'd kick it to you guys. It's it's a great question, and I think what Jalen Brown is is really it's an untaught, an undiscussed uh, situation among Celtics fans. It really is because I think he is he has those those moments where he's among the greats. He is clearly like, whoa, holy cow, hang on. But when you look, when you step back from it, you do say, okay, well, yeah, you had that moment, but where were you here? There is, there is an inconsistency to it that is, that's troubling. Um, and to me, you know, what are the expectations of him? I look at him in this conversation on Twitter the other day with, with uh, Tom King, uh, brother of Jay King, uh, actually. And we were talking about this issue because – I think Celtics fans, some Celtics fans think it's it's JBJT, like just one one A one B. I don't view it that way at all. I think JB is good, a great you know scorer, a guy who can really do some things, but is being tasked with playmaking and and responsibilities of running a team that are never going to be 
his forte. And I think he really needs to be a defensive, you know, a two-way player in a truest sense where defensively he's home, but, but really dynamic offensive scorer. And for some reason we've created this, this situation where if you're a great player, you have to be the playmaker. And I don't think that's necessarily true with every player. I mean, ben Simmons is a special playmaker. He can see, he can pass, he can feel the game in a way that Jalen Brown never will. But at the end of the day, the game is about scoring the ball. So that's why I'm like very conflicted in that way because I do love the passing and the movement, things that are innately in Ben Simmons, but are clearly not a part of where Jalen Brown experiences as a player. But yet, <laughs> but yet for me, I'm just not sure Ben Simmons can ever add that. I feel mm-hmm. like Jalen Brown, it's possible that he can add about 10% more there where he's, he's more consistent to, uh, in terms of effort and production, but he's, he's able to be just enough of a secondary playmaker to be able to make it work as a, a team's number two guy. Yeah, and I, I, there's a term that, that I'm sure you guys have heard in NBA discourse these days where people are referred to as heliocentric players. Mm-hmm. And Jalen Brown, to me, is a geocentric player. <laughs> like, everything revolves around him in, like, the old, old you know, he, he's all about getting his buckets. And as Adam will call him, he's a play finisher. You know, yeah. he's not a play creator. He's a play Completely. finisher. That, that's what Adam always says. So, like, that's kind of how I see Jalen Brown. He's very geocentric. He's not heliocentric. Not The solar system's not going to revolve around him. You know, he's going to have to do everything on his own and create for himself. And... It's really interesting just hearing other fans and what they think of him because I think Celtics fans think he is, as you said, like right up there with JT. And I definitely have found myself doing that from time to time. But when I hear like my buddy who I like really trust his opinion on basketball, I'm like, dang, like you you think the the Sixers would be like, absolutely not. No way are we giving up on Tyrese Maxey in that deal. Yeah, I think Maxey's where it goes south, to be honest. Like, for me, I'm a big, like, I think um, John's hit on a bunch of the arguments that I have for Brown. And I think that a guy like Jalen, as an elite play finisher or a geocentric um, player, is very much geared towards being the first option on a team because he the ball isn't in his hands as much. He's more Bradley Beal than he is LeBron James. I think that's the best way to explain it. You know, the ball, he needs the ball in his hands when the shot needs to be taken or the, or the layup needs to be made. He's not the guy that you put the ball in, in, in his hands and be like, go create for yourself, go create for others. He's very much a, hey, we found you in space. Let's get to work. You take the shot. For me, I think Tatum's already that guy, but Tatum is also able to beat break guys down after dribble, create for others. He's developing into a high-level playmaker. He's, do, he's becoming an elite point forward. And that's when you're at, like, you're coming close to the pinnacle of your position and your role when you're becoming elite at that, that many different parts of the game, which is why I think Ben Simmons is so complementary to Tatum because Ben Simmons and Tatum can be primary and secondary creators off of each other. Again, like I said, I like the way Udoka runs a lot of post creation. So if you use Ben Simmons as a one or a four, regardless, you can post up Ben Simmons because his gravity is around the rim anyway. And then you can run a bunch of creation out of those posts. If you've got Rob Williams creating on the weak side, um, Simmons on the strong side, you're going to have a, a real good amount of um, ball movement, uh, rim pressure. There's going to be so much there. And I just think that with Jaden Brown, unless you're going to have that Chris Paul type guy, 
to consistently tee up Brown when Tatum gets the ball kind of forced out of his hands, you're never going to get the best version of JB. And if you want the Celtics to be a genuine championship contender, you need the best version of both of those guys on a daily on a night-to-night basis. And I just don't think that's a viable option with the current roster construction, especially with J- Jason being the primary um, initiator. I don't know if anyone agrees. I've gave this a ton of thought, as you can tell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The heliocentric world, the number of players who live in that world um, or that solar system, wait, hold on, universe. I'm not sure. Galaxy. I'm not, I'm, I'm kind of losing the thread here. I don't, on that I don't have the space terminology to like fully right. flesh out the metaphor. <laughs> that's my, so that's it, my it, It'd be a galaxy because if you've got multiple heliocentric players, it's multiple suns forming, forming a rotation of gravity. So the NBA galaxy, there we go. Yeah. A constellation of players, uh, of stars. I, no, I think, look, is he, is he a Giannis? Is he a LeBron? Is he. Um, Luca, yeah, Luca's Luca's an interesting one too, I think as well. But uh, you know, is he? Can he get his own, but have everything on his shoulders? Can J- can 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 Jason Tatum be that guy? We're not sure. I think I think he can be the guy who can get his own. I think he can be geocentric. I think what we're seeing is that can he make that step to heliocentric? I think we are with help. With 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 help from um, from other players who who fill a role, but I think I'm not sure he's ever going to be at the Giannis level of of. But I also Top think type of guy, right? I, I mean, Giannis could create for others, but could never make the shot, and he made that step in, in last year's playoff. That was the difference, I think, for them being champions or not champions. I think Tatum has to do the other has it in reverse. He can make the shots. Don't look at his three point percentage right now. After I said that, but but he can hit the shots. Can he then create in such a way to do that? I don't. I don't think we're quite. We have enough of a sample of success to say he can. Um, but I think he's making steps. I think next year we could very well be in that place where he could be a heliocentric player. Um, but it's such a small chance for any player to make that leap. You know, even Luca, as successful as Luca has been, as you know, in terms of his own numbers and what we've all seen, he hasn't had team success anywhere near what Tatum has put together. And he's had some players. I mean, he's had some some ability around him, and yet Dallas has not even sniffed. Even you know second round third you know conference final world um, with the consistency anywhere near what Tatum has. So uh, you know I think I think there's more growth that Luca has. I think we just see it makes more sense with Luca because he does innately understand those skills that we see from Ben Simmons. Personally, that's you know I see from him. I agree with that. I'd agree with that. I think that. As you say, the the percentage of guys that make that leap into heliocentricism, if that's even a word. um, I love it. I love where we're going here. This is great. I think that percentage (laughs) of guys is such a minimal amount, and that's why these guys are top five, top seven. That that, that region, you know, even if you want to push it to top eight, just for argument's sake, 
there's 450 players in the NBA at any given point. If only eight of those guys have taken that leap to heliocentric level, that's because of how hard it is to achieve that kind of stratosphere. You know what I mean? Um, expecting two of those guys to be on the same team that were drafted on the same team have been through the same development process. I think that's very much, um, that's approaching things with green goggles to a drastic, drastic degree. Um, I think that you need to kind of be like, okay, so Tatum could Tatum for me has the larger percentage chance because he can handle the rock. He's developing as a playmaker. His um, his off ball defense is great. He understands passing lanes and angles. Whereas Jaden to me will always be geocentric and will always be the play finisher, the guy you tee up. He needs somebody else creating for him. Don't get me wrong. There's times where he can do it on his own, but if you ask for him to do that consistently, we're talking about a player that's career averages are almost a one-for-one one in turnovers to assists. So you don't want to lean on him too much to be a creator. Uh, and, and again, that's why I keep going back to, I'd, I'm a big Draymond Green guy. I think Draymond Green is like incredibly underrated and exceptionally talented basketball guy from terms of IQ, but a manipulation of the game. I think he manipulates games exceptionally well, the way he moves, the way he screens, and, and so on, dictates. And I think Ben Simmons could become that type of guy. Now, you'd need a buy-in from him. You'd need a shift in mentality. But part of, And I understand that one of the biggest kind of pushbacks I've received during conversations like this with people is Ben Simmons really struggled to handle the media circus of Philadelphia. Now, that's you're, you're coming out of the frying pan into the fire. If you're going from Philadelphia to Boston, things are only going to get worse especially if you're coming directly from Philadelphia to Boston. So there's always that to kind of like at least acknowledge as well. Uh, but in terms of like a straight swap, I think that I'd be more questionable to accept that deal if Tyrese Maxey wasn't included. But I also don't think you ever get that deal from Philadelphia with Tyrese. Maybe Seth Curry. I could see that more. Uh, but Maxi, that, that's when I say no, right? Like for me, it's like if, yeah. if it's Maxi, then I'm like, oh wow, you're giving me Maxi and Simmons. Like I kind of yeah, have do to that. do that deal, yeah. You know, um, but if you're listening to the pod right now, just breathe. This was all hypothetical. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're okay. None of this actually happened. And Ben Simmons. Oh, I just got the notification. Ben Simmons has been traded for James Harden. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> there's someone. Out, there's someone listening right now that stopped their car and they're just karate kicking a tree in a field right. somewhere. Just like, why are these guys saying this? Look, proper like, um, you ever seen Kickboxer with John Claude Van Damme and he's kicking down those trees? Like one of those moments, just like, ah, really angry. So uh, we apologize because your shins must be hurting right now. I've been there. I do apologize for you. Um, I think that pretty much wraps us up. I think, we, you know, we could keep going. We've gone into heliocentrism. We've gone into geocentrism. We've talked young guys. We've talked big man replacement therapy. Uh, I think we're done. John, before we go, do you want to let everybody know if they should already know? But if they don't, do you want to let them know where they can find you everywhere and everywhere? They can everywhere and everywhere and all the time. Uh, you can find me on at CSL underscore Duke. Um, I'm all over uh, the Twitter sphere. Uh, right now, uh, like I said, we're, we've been somewhat taking a break with the show. So all of my ramblings and insanities are, can be found there. Um, and uh, eventually, when we are, we'll be back uh, doing our regular podcast weekly, uh, Celtic Stuff Lives. So you can find us all the places that you can find podcasts. We're out there and uh, really excited to uh, uh, to get back at it, but I've really enjoyed the time and chat. This has been 
great. Uh, I did. I had no idea we were going to space tonight. This is fantastic. <laughs> um, seems fitting. The Celtics are playing in in Florida, home of of uh, Kennedy Space Center and Cape Canaveral. So that's kind of just kind of bringing it all back home. If you while you're um on a podcasting hiatus, if you ever feel like you need to discuss something, the door's always open for you. But just hit me up and we can make it work. Um, Sounds good. If everybody's enjoyed this show, even. If you just really didn't like the final like 15 minutes, that's okay. Just forget <laughs> it happened. Scroll down on your phone bad, and bad. hit the five stars. We had someone leave us a wonderful review the other day, but they'd hit the one star and that really hurts the rating. So you just need to hit the five, the fifth one, and then write something really nice. And, you know, it's excellent. But the person that did leave us that nice review, thank you. It did make me smile. Um, if you're not using an Apple device or an uh, if you're not using Apple, then really you can only leave the five stars on Spotify. Otherwise, and Greg, I know you hate doing this, so do you want me to run with it? Uh, no, I, I got it. I got it. Otherwise, Greg's going to tell you what to do if you're not using an app, a podcast aggregator that lets you leave reviews. Yeah, just make sure that next time you're talking to somebody, um, you know, it could be somebody on Twitter, it could be somebody in your real life. Um, you could be talking about space terminology. You could be in science class. Just, just let them know that you've been tuning in to uh, Celtics Pod on uh, Celtics Blog Podcast Network and on SB Nation. Just let them know that this guy Adam, this guy Greg, this guy Will, and then there's this new guy John on this week. They do a great job talking all things Celtics, all things hypotheticals. And if you're freaking out right now, once again, just breathe. You're going to be okay. Jalen Brown is in green. Hopefully he still will be by Wednesday. Everybody have a good um, a good Monday. Enjoy your Tuesday if you're listening on a Tuesday. And we will be back on Wednesday when we are just a single day away. There will be we will be talking hours until the trade deadline. It should be fun. We'll catch everybody soon. Everybody stay safe and please, please, please remember to breathe. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors Still, he chased greatness, expected that he might fail And I might too, I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do